five. It's the class that puts peak in your week and helps you get over the last two days. So if you're looking for something that really helps you, this is the class. We're starting, we started a series on Be Strong and Courageous. It comes out of Joshua 1.9, but we're noticing that there are a lot of people who really took a stand when it was hard to do so. And we're going to start tonight with Esther. But before we get there, remember this is a class where we teach each other. So if you will speak up and make comments and ask questions, I would appreciate it greatly and it would really benefit the class. Would you bow with me, please? Father, thank you for this time together and for this class. I ask that you help us to go in with open eyes and open hearts, that we can see you at work. I ask that you help me get out of the way that people can see you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in chapter one. Everybody should have a handout. If you don't have a handout, if you put your hand up, Sue will make sure you have one. Everybody's got one. Good. She's perfect. I'm sorry? Chris is perfect. Okay, that's good. We got to start off with where the Persian Empire is. Because the Persian Empire is where Esther is. They have conquered the Babylonian Empire, and they now control the then-known world. They are the most powerful nation on earth at this time. Now, knowing that, what are some hang-ups? What are some bad things of having status and power? Somebody's always trying to one-up you or knock you off. Okay, somebody's trying to knock you down if you have status and power. Good, thank you. We've got to have one more at least. What are some drawbacks of having status and power? Chuck. It can go to your head. It could go to your head. Would you like to talk more about that? <laughs> they then regarded themselves as a god. And they were infallible. And they had no bounds. Okay, very good. Thank you. Thank you. This is King Ahasuerus. He's also known as King Xerxes. And he's throwing a party for all the, the high ups in his government. It's not just any party. It's a party that's going to last for 180 days. 
think he threw a party that would last 180 days. Didn't he have like 127 um, nations and he partied with all of them, correct? Yeah, 127 providences and he parties with all of them. Chuck. Nobody can throw a banquet like I can throw a banquet. Yeah. He's going to throw the banquet of banquets. Very good. Thank you, Chuck. Sue. Opportunity to have in people from all those provinces, uh, maybe people that were the head of those provinces or people that they have conquered and are still in a puppet role uh, to smuse. Is that the right word? Smuse is a good word. To smooth. Say it again. Smooth. Smooth. Thank you, Jack. Smooth. <laughs> to smooth with them and to uh, try to keep some loyalty, maybe. Okay. Good. Good. Who are the guests? Your handouts will help out a whole lot on this. The introductions are notorious for details. <laughs> Chuck. The nobles, the princes, the generals of the armies. Yeah. Who's who? who? It's the who's who in the Persian Empire. And they are drinking, if the count is right, they have 11 different kinds of wine at this thing. So they're eating and drinking for all 180 days. And if you eat and drink constantly for 180 days, tendencies are you won't be thinking straight halfway through your partying. And King Xerxes isn't thinking right. Because he throws a second party, and it's for seven days. Why the difference? Well, I don't know. Just from the way it reads to me, I think he's giving a party for kind of his inner circle, uh -huh. those people that are just in Susa. Um, perhaps the people that advise him and that he kind of depends on to help him rule the empire. Okay, good. Jack. It, it also says it's from the greatest to the least. So it seems like uh, if it's the least, I'm not sure who's serving, but it <laughs> is at Susa. Susa is the winter palace for the Persian Empire. And, and so he doesn't get there all the time. So it may be an opportunity where he had all the nobles and the princes and everything else that were in the empire, and now it's the people that run the Winter Palace for as a personal banquet with, um, showing that, you know, because he's there every year in the, in the, in the winter, in the summer, 
time as far as uh, going there from, uh, from Babylon. Very good. Thank you. What was Queen Vashti doing while he's having his parties? She's entertaining the ladies. Oh, he's entertaining the ladies. They have a strange thing that I've never put my head around. Men and women don't go anywhere together. Because it would make the men appear weak. So the men have their party, the women are having their party. And neither shall the parties meet. They're never going to come across because women were not considered equals to men. And in the middle of all this, the king, Xerxes, says, I want you to bring Queen Vashti to the party in the garden. What was the purpose of his request? Show off her beauty. To show off her beauty. This, this is one of those requests. You've got a, a room full of drunken guys, and they ask for the queen, and she's a beautiful lady. And so the request comes up the line, we want you here. There won't be any other ladies here but you. And Queen Vashti says, no. Now, you're a king, and this is your wife. You have all power in the empire, and your wife has just told you no. And you're drunk. So what kind of reactions do you have? Oh, he's angry. Embarrassed, he's got all these people around and she, he heard him send for her and now she's not coming. Check. Indignant. Indignant. Indignant? Thank you. Jay. Disrespected. Disrespected is a good word. Very good. Chuck. He realizes also it's a risk to his power. And that he can't abide. It is a big risk to his power. As, as powerful as he was, like Chuck says, her no overpowers his power. So all of a sudden she's become more powerful because what can he do? I know you're going to find out, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. The way he settles this is he goes to the king's council. The council sit there and say, man, what are we going to do about Vashti and her bowing her back and saying no? 
And they decide on never letting her again in the king's presence. She will stay in his harem, but she, she is never allowed to be in his presence again. So what decree was issued by the king? There were afraid that the word would get out that King Xerxes' wife had said no. And they thought, hmm, our wives may decide, well, we can say no, too. And that worried them. They're petrified. Because <laughs> if, if the queen is telling the king no and getting away with it, then everybody's home will be that way. And the wives will raise up and they'll tell the men no, and the men don't have anything to do with it. So Vashti will actually issue in a new idea of what home life is supposed to be like. She'll encourage them to say no. And so this is written down that she's never to work, be in his presence again. It is written down in the law of the Medes and Persians. Anybody know what the law of the Medes and Persians means? It can never be revoked. Once it's written in the law of the Medes and Persians, it's permanent. Now, where does that leave King Xerxes? Without a queen. Well, who does he get to talk to? <laughs> Anybody who wants to. Anybody who wants to. But she's been his confidant. She's been the closest one to him. Okay, very good. Chapter 2. Oh, we're doing good. So they decide, since he doesn't have a wife, that they need to find him one. So how do they go about finding him one? Yeah. Anyone who is attractive, looks good, and they start having rounds where they look up and say, well, this one's not going to make the final cut, and they push her out. Chuck. Kind of like tryout. Yeah, it's kind of like tryout, definitely. Yeah.
Yes, I have to be young and virgin. Susan. You might mention here that these young women did not come with their own volition. <laughs> so this borders on, yeah, yeah. What, what we would really look down on today. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very good. Thank you. What does 5 through 7 tell you about Esther's family background? Would you like me to read it? Would you like me to read it? You can read it if you wish. <laughs> now there was in the citadel of Susa a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin named Mordecai, son of Jer, the son of Shema. Shimei, the son of Kish, who had been carried into exile from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Among those taken captive with Jehoiakim, king of Judah. Mordecai had a cousin named Hadashah, whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. This girl, who was also known as Esther, was lovely in form and features, and Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother died. Okay, how about, did Babylon take Jerusalem? Years it had been from when they were taken into captivity. How'd they do it? Oh. They did it in a very unique way. They don't scale the walls and send soldiers in. How did Nebuchadnezzar take Jerusalem? Yes. Babylon takes Jerusalem. Well, didn't he, you know, I mean, he just took the people. He, he, it was his third one that he took everybody that was left, but he tore down all the walls, he burned the gates, he tore down the temple, he raised everything to the ground. The way he did it, in the first place, though, he surrounded and cut off all their supplies. And that brings the book of Lamentations. That's what's happening there. Lamentations is one of those books, when you read it, you just can't believe that actually happened. It's that big. So, that's what Babylon did. There is a chance that's where Esther lost her family. She would have been young enough that they could see potential as a slave girl, if nothing else. But they also took Mordecai. And Mordecai is her uncle, Chuck. Well, this was after the 70 years of captivity. So she had to be born in captivity. Uh -huh. Otherwise, she wouldn't be a young girl. That's true. So this was, this was people who had decided after they were released by Cyrus not to go back to Jerusalem and stay in the Persian kingdom. Yes. So this wouldn't have been what they, her parents wouldn't have died in Jerusalem because she'd have been 85 or 90 years by now, old now by now to be Xerxes. That's the time frame. She had to be born while they were in captivity. The captivity though really put a pressure mark on some of the families. I appreciate you saying that. Okay.
here's the breakdown. We're in 540 BC when Persia conquers Babylon. And they take the top of the line of people and they put them in positions of service to their kingdom. So Xerxes begins his rule 485. So we're at least there. So he will... Esther probably arrives there 480's best guess, but it's a guess. Now, who was Mordecai? He's her uncle. He's her uncle. And her stepdad. That's what we'd call him today. But he's taken her under his wing because nobody else was around. He also has, since she's going to the, she has a, a eunuch named Haggai. Haggai likes her a lot. And he's sort of guiding her through this process so that she will be queen of everything. But Mordecai's also. Why was he in exile? That he came back from Jerusalem at the same time Jehoiakim did. Huh? So he was he was picked up and they just brought back people that they saw potential in, so that would be why they would have chosen Mordecai, probably. Okay, good. Very good. Thank you. I wonder why Esther, or Hadassah, if you want to use the Hebrew name, uh, chose to join the other contestants at the palace. edict went out and she was brought to the palace. We don't know how she was brought to the palace. But there she was go. brought to the palace. Yeah. And if she says no, it's not going to go down good. But before she leaves, Mordecai makes sure she does something or doesn't do something. What has he asked her not to do? Tell them you're a Jew. Don't let them know that you're Jewish. So what does Esther receive because Haggai was pleased with her? I'm sorry. Her own entourage. Her own entourage. 
she also gets little inside information as to what the king likes and doesn't like. Haggai's right on top of her. And looking at chapter 2, 10 through 11, how do you, what do you think Mordecai felt about what was happening? an opportunity for him to protect his people because they were still looked upon most likely as the slaves that were taken from Jerusalem. Okay, very good. It talks about there in verse 10 that he, every day he walked back and forth in front of the palace just to see Make sure, if possible, Esther was okay. Okay. So he cared about her. He's trying to find her and see how she's doing and doing the parent thing. Those of you who've had girls, you probably can understand the parent thing. And Esther is chosen to be the next queen. She's come a long way fast. How did Xerxes celebrate his new queen? Give <laughs> a banquet. A banquet, a big party. It works so well. <laughs> He declares it a holiday. He goes and he has another banquet. This king likes banquets. She's to be protected at all costs. What else does she know to do? Don't let anybody know you're Jewish. So she's going to hide that for a while. Now, getting here was kind of neat. Did anybody read where, what they did for the ladies that actually got to go to the palace? It's a, it's a, man, it's not bad. It's like being at a spa all year long. I mean, this is good stuff. You know those things that they talk about massage and hot rocks on the back and being in mud baths and all that stuff. She went through that for a whole year, but somebody had to do it, so she volunteered. Well, she didn't volunteer, she was having it. So, at the King's Gate, there's Mordecai. And there are two men who guard the door of the king. Now let's look. Somebody who looks like they could guard the door of the king. Paul. If you're guarding the door of the king, how many people are around you? Two. 
There are two of you. And there's nobody else around. And you don't let anybody else in unless the king says he's expected him. And so they sit back and get, they get irked at King Xerxes. And they decide, we're going to be guarding the door. Nobody's going to be around. We can assassinate the king. Sounds like a good plan, except Mordecai hears it. And Mordecai, Chuck. Brightest individuals in the world. And these aren't the two brightest individuals in the world. <laughs> Talking about it, and the guy's sitting there. <laughs> I gotta get my composure back now. <laughs> I, what do you think Mordecai's gonna do with that information? Keep Xerxes in power. He wants King Xerxes in power. And because he's picked his niece. And so he passes it on to Esther to say, these two guys are going to kill the king. And she passed it on to the king. They investigate and then hang him. Yeah. The king, when he hears what they're going to do, he's enraged. I got a feeling this guy had a lot of anger problems because he's always enraged. But when Esther tells him, she tells him how she got the information. Got it through Mordecai, her uncle. He's the one who has saved the king's life. And she makes sure it's written down just that way so if they ever go back through it again, they'll know who Mordecai and what he did. All this is recorded in the book of the annuals in the presence of the king. So the king is an eyewitness to what they're putting in. Chapter 3. Oh, we're doing good. Who was Haman? He's the Agagite. He's an Agagite. What is an Agagite? <laughs> Somebody that follows a gog? Maybe? I don't know. Somebody Agag. From Agag. Yeah, somebody from Agag. Agag was the king of the Amalekites when King Saul was on the throne in Jerusalem. He goes and he raids the Amalekites and he brings some of the plunder back to parade through the city, which was a common victory thing. Only God had told him, don't you bring anything back. And Samuel 
comes to Saul and says, what have you done? He says, I've done just what God told me. He says, then how come I'm hearing sheep and cattle? You weren't to bring anything back. One of the things he brought back was King Agag. And now you have a direct descendant of King Agag. What was the typical thing done to the kings who were captured? <laughs> What's it? They can't hear this thing. <laughs> Let me put noises in there. <laughs> They did. They paraded them through the streets in chains usually and let the people cheer and throw stuff at them. And then they cut their heads off and they put it on the top of their wall. So people coming could see it and people going could see it. The people coming would behave themselves and the people going would be proud that their king vanquished another king. So that's why it's so important to know that he's an Agagite. He's a relative of Agag. Why did the servants bow down to him? The king commanded it. The king commanded it. For some reason, he had chosen Haman to be his right-hand man. It doesn't say why, but, you know, as you re go ahead and listen to the story, it wasn't because he was a nice man. But he is the right-hand man of the king. He's the one who gets things going, and if somebody needs executing, he's the man to get them executed. Anything the king wants, Haman has to do. How do you think he feels about Jews? If he knew he was an Agagite, he would know his heritage. He would probably know exactly what had happened and how a Jew had killed his great-great-great-grandfather or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then somebody significant doesn't bow down. Everybody's bowing down, but this one guy who won't bow down. Hint, it's on the screen. Mordecai. Mordecai won't bow down. So what does Haman do? How does he react? When they're saying, this guy's not bowing down when you pass by. 
Vengeance. Vengeance. He comes up with this story that is a big story. And the story goes like this. You know you've got some people in your kingdom who won't do what you want them to do. They're more interested in keeping things from back home, like not bowing down. And because they don't bow down, they really don't respect you. And the king listens to this. And he wonders, but Haman's right-hand man's been taking care of things. This got to be true if you got your right-hand man saying all this stuff. And so... The king decides to do something that gives him a lot of power. Anybody want to take a shot at it? Gaining the signet ring. When you give them the signet ring, you are giving him the power of a king. You see, the signet ring, I haven't, who haven't I picked on? Jim? Jim wants to do stuff for Chuck, and Chuck doesn't want to mess with it, so he gives him his signet ring. And everything he does, Jim puts that in, and they say, this is Chuck White, because it's got his, it's got his mark in it. So if he's got his mark on the wax seal, it's Chuck White. He gave Haman that kind of power. Sue. Xerxes already knew. Haman had told him what he wanted to do. It wasn't, this just didn't happen blindly to King Xerxes. He knew that Haman wanted to wipe all the Jews out mm -hmm. because he was mad at one man. Uh huh. But he's built it up to a, it's the whole nation doing this stuff. It's the whole nation that won't bow down to you. It's the whole nation that won't. These people that come from Israel, they're just like that. They won't listen to you. They do their own thing. And so the king gives his ring to Haman. And Haman makes a law and puts the signet ring in it. What did the law say? It said they had one day of the month that they could go kill all the men, women, and children that were Jews on that day. Yeah. This is sort of inside of them. If they're Jewish, they're all like this. It comes in the genes. It didn't, of course, but he's put the signet ring, and now it's law. And it gave basically anyone the right to kill the Jews on that day. Mm -hmm. 
It didn't have to just be Haman or army officials or anything. Anybody could wipe them out. And this is the law of the Medes and Persians, which means it can't be revoked. So he has set up the slaughter of the Jewish people. Any questions, comments? You all have done great. You've all been right when I was wrong, and I appreciate the corrections. Next week, we're going to get into the nitty-gritty of how Haman plans to do this. So you'll want to be here. If you're online, thank you for being online. We want to invite you to come to be with us this Sunday morning. We are starting the Book of Romans. And this will be all the inside information you'll need just to set it up and get us going in the right direction. So you'll want to come and hear Romans this Sunday morning. I want to thank you for being here and making the classes interesting, as you all do. Thank you.